Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. All of a sudden... In the middle of night, there's a loud knock on your door. Hey, honey. Something's not right. Throw out your hands. Clinton's deadlock passed through. We're here from the government. We're here to help you. And I'm from the IRS with a power to tax. If you've got a complaint, <laughs> send us a fax. Get out of this house. Surrender your guns. Give me your gold. You better obey if you want to grow old. That's the good stuff and do what you're told. Hey everybody, it's Build State Update with your hosts, Joseph Flatley and yours truly, uh, JG Michael. And we're going to be listening to an interview I did with Wayne Madsen. Wayne's a pretty interesting figure. He's been around... Uh, a lot of different places and has worked for everyone from the NSA to InfoWars. And he has a lot to say about Alex Jones in the interview we're going to be doing. But uh, Lenny, what have you been up to? Definitely a few stories worth checking out on the website, failedstateupdate.com. There's this term in um, like SEO and website shit. It's called evergreen content. So it's like the stuff that you write that isn't really tied to the news cycle, people will always be Googling it. It's not time dependent. Exactly. So people will always be Googling it. So it's supposed to be like a source of income or hits or whatever for the rest of your life. Like um, chemtrails would be an example of something that, you know, cons- people on the conspiracy beat are always like, what's a chemtrail? So like do an article about chemtrails or... So I've I've been kind of like looking at some of those topics and I, I decided to just do kind of an explainer, a Vox magazine or Vox.com style explainer on monarch mind control, you know, like the really ridiculous conspiracy theory that that MK Ultra never stopped and that the CIA was still doing this bizarre mind control programming. I mean, it's basically CIA mind controlled sex slaves. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a, a specific methodology where like they sexually abuse people and it traumatizes them and gives them split personalities and um it's it's all nonsense but talk to anybody who's ever been uh seriously traumatized and ask if you know their abuse gave them superpowers <laughs> it's, it's really ridiculous that's some michelle remembers shit exactly <laughs> but did you see um did you happen to see the story about francis fox that i did 
I was not familiar with Francis Fox, and I've been meaning to read the article. I've, I've seen it, and I skimmed over it, uh, but tell me more. I'm pretty excited about it, because nobody's really familiar with uh, Francis Fox. I discovered her when just doing background research on Monarch Mind Control. She's this woman in uh, southern F- Florida who owned like a, a boutique, a bridal boutique, in I think it was St. Petersburg, and she was very, you know... It's you know it was known as a very expensive high end boutique with really good stuff. It's still around. Her daughter runs it now, and um, she was just like you know a wealthy or well to do, you know kind of socialite slash entrepreneur person in uh, in in Florida. And she came out. She announced in the the early nineties that she had had extensive therapy with recovered memory therapists and they found you know hidden memories of her being abused by her father and uncle for the project monarch program and um she her father was dead at this point but she she announced that she was going to sue her uncle and that this lawsuit was gonna you know finally open the books on all the government mind control and the one of the newspapers down there did a not really all that probing article, just kind of, they presented her arguments and you kind of had the impression that they didn't take them seriously, but they didn't really like double down or ask any like tough questions or anything. Try to get to bottom to the bottom of what really might be going on. But, um, never heard anything about the lawsuit. So apparently it didn't happen. And the Monarch aspect of the Francis Fox story just kind of, withered on the vine there as far as i can tell but a few years later she after after remote viewing was declassified and like the remote viewers were going on art bell and like you know that was like the newest thing in pseudoscience she was back claiming that she had remote viewing powers and psychic powers because she was taken from her home at age two and made into a psychic spy for the government and she was doing like women's empowerment workshops around <laughs> Miami claiming to like psychically cure people of all their ills and she's still at it. it it's it's pretty remarkable she actually she seems to have found her she seems to have like found her niche as the uh, spanish speaking community in in Miami in that area so if you don't know to look for Fa- Francis Fox you're not necessarily going to find anything, but once you start going through like Spanish language publications and stuff, she's got a website, she's got all kinds of merch. She's, uh, she's on like Telemundo talk shows, talk, you know, doing astrology and stuff. So it's always very exciting to find a conspiracy grifter that no one else has really written about. So, you know, it's like, I'm pretty proud that I beat Will Sommer and, and Merlin and all these people. Uh, it, it's a crazy story. Yeah, and I'm 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 glad she finally found her niche. <laughs> you know, just proves if you if you uh, work hard and you know someday you can make it. But maybe maybe she'll go back to the monarch thing though. We'll get a memoir, sort of like Transformation of America, which I personally refer to that as pornography for evangelicals. Oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> I call it like sub pornography because it's like if you were at look, most people looking for pornography would be grossed out by it it's so nasty but um so i did one of those and then i was like all right this evergreen stuff is cool i mean it's not an evergreen you know it is it's about the history of monarch but it has this 
this twist, this original twist that I was really pleased with. So I was like, I've been wanting to do something with the uh, FEMA concentration camps, especially since the uh, conspiracy theory has come back as COVID concentration camps. I guess since uh, liberals love COVID restrictions and freedom love and patriots do not, that they're, they're just assuming it's only a matter of time before liberals go around rounding up conservatives and putting them in concentration camps. So I did like kind of a another article on the COVID concentration camp conspiracy theories and kind of the roots of it in FEMA like concentration camps and the actual weird continuity of government stuff that Rex 84 exactly Rex 84 continuity government uh militarization of the police the Reagan administration Ollie North all that is Louis Giafrida it's weird because when you look into a lot of that stuff and the original reporting on it uh continuity of government I mean uh stuff like Operation Garden Plot and I think there was one Operation Lantern Spike or Operation Spiked Lantern Ron Rittenhauer wrote about that, and he was a, a very good journalist. But a, a no, lot he was of that, all over that story. Yeah, a, a lot of that stuff was targeting, you know, left wing dissidents during the Cold War. That was the plan. Yeah, yeah, le- basically left wing dissidents and black people, and they were very much, um, very much forthright about that. So it's like, you know, everything. Once again, some people have. Uh, pointed out that like everything that conservatives freak out about tends to be a projection of <laughs> what they've done or are doing. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know if I buy that, but I mean, this seems to be a case of that actually. Definitely. Well, I, I have to say just really quickly, I know we're going to probably end up doing a show on it, but uh-huh. I've really been enjoying the field state jukebox. Oh yeah. You know, I, right before we did this, uh, I was listening to Ordo Up Kiv, the rap by the great conspiracy theorist. Well, not great, but I mean, he was entertaining. Anthony Hilder, I, I love the lyrics. Atmospheric, social illusion, media hype, you know, bad confusion. <laughs> Anytime you can get a white guy to like stiltingly like recite rhymes as if they're they're you know MCs, hip hop MCs, it's always entertaining. Well, especially a white guy that got accused of hypnotizing Sirhan Sirhan to kill RFK. Oh, I know. It's amazing. <laughs> well, I heard it. I first heard it on the hour of the time. I used to tune in when it was on in, you know, 92 or so, circa 92, I guess. Had to, like, go through every station at midnight because the show was on at midnight to, like, try to find the right station and you know like for a while i listened to other weird stuff thinking it was hour of the time you know and then you, eventually were, were you listening to like uh tex mars power of prophecy oh all that stuff was coming up yeah it was crazy what well, was on what worldwide christian radio wwcr so it was like you know liberty lobby radio was on before bill cooper and then cooper would get on and be all pissed off because he just had to listen to the liberty lobby so he'd start complaining about them and then They'd complain about him next night and stuff, and it was it was a lot of fun. To bring it around to Wayne Madsen, your your interview for the week, shortwave was like the internet of that era, you know. So it's like Bill Cooper definitely was riding that wave before before the internet, and it's like not surprising that his stuff is so beloved on the internet and has such a big home because it's like exactly the kind of anti-establishment content that people crave. The, the the only difference for me between him 
and who we mentioned earlier, Anthony Hilder, is that Hilder could come up with a uh, you know some good cheesy lines like uh, Illuminati. <laughs> it's the Illuminati, man. So explain real quick, uh, so everybody knows who is Wayne Madsen. So he is an investigative reporter. He used to be based out of D.C. I think he's in Florida now. But uh, he's worked for the NSA as an analyst. But he's most known for running the website Wayne Matson Report. And he's been writing about a number of different topics over the years. Uh, he sort of styles himself as uh, following in the footsteps of the great I.F. Stone. I don't always agree with Every aspect of Wayne's analysis, but he has broken some interesting stories, or at least taken me in, well, down interesting rabbit holes. I would put it that way. It's really clear that Wayne Madsen has always had this kind of anti fascist ethos, even though, you know, he never came out as Antifa, you know, and he never, maybe never explicitly said it. But you look at his work and it comes from the right place. And I, I just really respect that. And this, I, in many ways, this book, um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, The Fourth Reich, The Something Fourth Reich. I believe it's called The Rise of the Fascist Fourth Reich, The Rise of the Fascist Fourth Reich, The Era of Trumpism and the New Far Right. Uh, which is a very new book. I think it just got released this year or last year. It was a fascinating interview conducted by J.G. Michael, so thanks for that, J.G. And we'll uh, we'll give it a listen. Rhodes Scholar Oration. Clinton speaks, then rapes the nation. Luciferian subjugation. New World Order Illuminati coronation. My concern is really a, a result of my upbringing. Um, my uh, father was from Denmark. He managed to leave uh, Copenhagen six days before the Germans uh, invaded his country. Obviously, he never went back during the war uh, because he had been involved uh, in some um, uh press surveillance. He wasn't a journalist, but he was affiliated with one of the labor union newspapers in Denmark. And he had gone into Germany with his uncle to take photos of what they called then work, work camps. These were later the concentration camps. And he saw people who were put in there doing close order drill with shovels. Um, and um, after the war broke out, I, I, as a matter of fact, uh, even before that time, uh, uh, he, people might know of Kristallnacht. Uh, this was the uh, uh, a day, uh, actually it was a couple of days in 1934 when the Nazis um, just uh, did everything they could. Uh, they, they burned synagogues, they beat up and arrested and killed uh, Jews that they found on the street in their homes. Uh, and uh, he, my father happened to have been in Danzig uh, at that point in time, uh, that was then an, a free city, an international city, but the Germans uh, predominated and so did the Nazis. So he happened to be in a, a barbershop uh, on Kristallnacht and uh, a brick came flying through the window of that barbershop. And uh, he he turned to the barber, he said, um, uh, what did they do that for? And he said, because I'm Jewish. And uh, so I had that 
sort of background. And I'm from my mom, who was an American living in New Jersey. A lot of people may not realize, but New Jersey in the 1930s was a real viper's nest for Nazi groups, including the biggest one of them all, the German-American Bund. They actually had uh, uh, youth camps. Uh, they had uh, their social halls. Um, and um, I guess it was all brought home to her one day when she uh, went out of her house in South Jersey and looked up and just happened to be passing over was the um, the airship Hindenburg with the swastikas very apparent on the on the fins of that uh, airship, that Zeppelin. And, and it was on that trip that when it, it was on its way to, of course, Lakehurst and uh, it, it blew up. As, as a matter of fact, my, my I had a joke uh, when he was alive. I said, what is what does Rush Limbaugh have in common with the uh, Hindenburg? And the answer was they're both flaming Nazi gas bags. Um, so I, that background, I, I mean, seeing seeing Trump, um, I was not surprised when he met, said after the Charlottesville incident that, you know, there was good people on both sides, because when he thought of them as good people, I think he was thinking about his father, Fred. Fred was in, was arrested on Memorial Day in 1927 in Queens, New York, uh, uh, dressed up in the robes of the Ku Klux Klan. And they were protesting uh, on Memorial Day, which was in honor of all America's war dead. And here we had the Klan, and of all places, Queens, uh, out uh, disrupting the parade. And, um, and so in 1927, this was before the rise of Hitler in Germany. The Nazis were just getting organized. So there was no real place for racists to go to in the United States. There was the Klan. But, you know, the Klan up north was kind of an anomaly if it was the only but it was the only act in town. After Hitler came to power, a new group started in the United States called the Friends of New Germany. Later, that became the German-American Bund. There was a fascist uh, group called the Silver Shirts. Uh, they uh, basically were supporting not only uh, Hitler, but Mussolini in Italy. And um, so, I mean, this is the Ameri this is when the America First Committee was uh, very powerful with Charles Lindbergh as its head. There was uh, the most popular person on the radio in those days was a guy named Father uh, Charles Coughlin. He was a Roman Catholic priest. He was a vicious anti-Semite, pro-Hitler, anti-Roosevelt. And there was also an attempt in 1934 to uh, overthrow Franklin Roosevelt in a coup. And this was, of course, brought to light by retired Marine Corps General Smedley Butler. <coughs> the, the testimony, his testimony was kept under wraps until 1970. Uh, amazing, because I, I think there was this thought uh, uh, in the United States that we, we should never tell everyone how close we came to a fascist regime. And now we have January 6th. Now, my, my thought is what happened on January 6th, uh, now we're finding more and more about it. Remember, the press first said it was a riot. They said it was a protest. Now we've gone to full insurrection. And more recently, and this happened, of course, after my book, was the 
assault in Canada. The, the whole trucker fiasco. Yeah. Yeah. The whole trucker thing. Very few of them were semi truckers. They, uh, over 90% of long haul truckers in Canada have been vaccinated. Um, they had no problem with it. <laughs> but what happened is that um, people opposed to the reelection of Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, last September, decided, uh, well, we're going to go uh, lay siege to Parliament in Ottawa. One of their demands was that the Governor General of Canada, who represents the Queen, uh, and the parties other than the Liberal Party in the Senate, and this group, this group, motley group of the uh, the convoy group, uh, Free Canada, they demanded that the uh, governor general d- dissolve the Trudeau government, even though it had been reelected, uh, and declare them as part of some coalition junta running Canada. This was no, this had nothing to do with vaccines. This was this was an attempted coup. Unfortunately for Canada, like for this country. Uh, they've found out that m- members of their active duty military and police departments were egging these guys on or supportive or part of it. As a matter of fact, the police chief of Ottawa resigned today because he had um, failed to protect the city. He failed to protect Parliament Hill. And um, and I think uh, there, we're going to see soon uh, their form of the January 6th House Select Committee, there's already calls in Canada for a royal commission to be a- appointed to look into how was that possible that that uh, th- this group was able to basically shut down the capital of Canada, terrorize the residents that live there, uh, cause problems at the border, costing billions of dollars in, in business for both the United States and Canada. And, um, uh, they, they, you know, there's a lot of questions, just like there's questions in this country. Uh, now, we also we found out later there were active duty military as part of the siege. So in this book, uh, I, I not only concentrated on the United States, but this is a global fascist movement. Um, we see the son, for example, the son of Jair Bolsonaro, the fascist president of Brazil, was in Washington participating in the planning for the coup. Now, it's not being reported in this country. I mean, I I fault the press, too, because there's so much news available and they're not paying it any attention. The the Supreme Court of of Brazil and the the Congress have have demanded what role the Brazilian embassy in Washington played in the January 6th insurrection. This is amazing. This is probably the first time we have seen another country charged with facilitating a fascist coup. Um, I mean, so boldly um, since, um, I mean, the USCIA did it in a lot of countries, but we weren't a fascist nation doing it. It was obviously the CIA. We were supporting fascists. But the only time we could see something this bold was when uh, in 1934, the Nazis in Germany tried to overthrow the Austrian government and um, managed to kill their, assassinate their chancellor in the process. So Brazil, uh, that to, to me, the, the fact that the son of the president, who's an, actually a sitting member of the Brazilian Congress, that was involved in this country, in Washington, was there with Trump 
was at the Willard Hotel. To me, that's an act of war. Um, and it wasn't treated at that. Normally, that would have gotten a Brazilian amb uh, ambassador expelled, at least declared persona non grata. Uh, but it's not just Brazil. I, I think it's fairly certain. Now we see Tucker Carlson being um, fed it all the time by Viktor Orban in Hungary. He leads a fascist regime. Um, and uh, we have the Russian uh, involvement as well. If we could, I, I want to hone in on uh, Tucker Carlson here. Uh, yeah. Your book deals with Carlson uh, pretty in depth. And also uh, you get into his father, uh, yeah. Richard Dick Carlson. Please give us the background on Carlson and uh, his ties to the right. Yeah, I, 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 I first became aware of uh, his dad, Dick Carlson. Dick Carlson was a, a TV uh, a personality out in Southern California <clears throat> based out of San Diego. Uh, he, he was married before and then uh, the wife uh, took off. Uh, he remarried and he, he, he married the woman who was the heir, heiress to the Swanson frozen TV dinner family. Uh, so uh, Tucker fell into some uh, nice <clears throat> cash there. His dad, Dick Carlson, Reagan appointed him the head of the U.S. Information Agency, where he had he had basically control over uh, Voice of America. And in in that job, he was able to uh, Reagan was very active with this captive nations group. Th these were the Warsaw Pact countries, the uh, the Soviet republics, uh, the Baltics, for example. But uh, Dick Carlson went out of his way to hire as radio uh, personalities for VOA and Radio Free Europe and um, Radio Liberty and a bunch of these other propaganda operations. <clears throat> People that had arrived in the United States after World War II. But let's put it this way. Uh, their allegiances uh, during the war were somewhat suspect. Uh, to call them Nazis would probably be... be be too kind, especially when we're talking about the Ukrainians uh, that, that were brought in. Some of them were associated with Stepan Bandera, who was the uh, Nazi leader of, of Ukraine and was a collaborator of the with the SS. Right. The, the Ukrainian yeah. insurgent army. Yeah. Yes. Today. Yeah. And, and they're still called that and they still use their flag. And um, so I would say that Tucker was exposed to these individuals at an early age. The funny thing is, I, I first met Dick Carlson at the National Press Club, and this is before Tucker, you know, found his um, <clears throat> found his niche in life. I guess uh, I think he was writing for the Weekly Standard or the National Review in those days. And I remember his father saying, "Who are you with?" And I, you know, I said, "Oh, I'm with a." Back then, I was with a nonprofit. Uh, oh, I. Uh, yeah, I'm just wondering if there's any openings for t my son, Tucker. And, you know, the first thing that crossed my mind is who in their right mind would name their kid Tucker? Uh, you know, and uh, I said, no, well, we're not hiring. So th this had to be about 2003 time frame. But, you know, and now in retrospect, uh, you know, Maybe I should have uh, <clears throat> tried to get Tucker a job so he wouldn't have wound up later at Fox News <laughs> with, with this with this huge soapbox that he, you know, it, it, supporting Russia, supporting uh, basically supporting everybody that uh, is to the right of Attila the Hun. So with regards to 
uh, Dick Carlson, he was put uh, in charge by Reagan of the yeah. U.S. Information Center or yeah, the UF Info- U.S. Information Agency. Yeah, um, that, that, yeah, that was killed off by Jesse Helms. He, he thought that they were all anti-American there, you know, but yeah. Could you discuss I, that a little bit? Yeah, U.S. Information Agency was part of the State Department. Uh, it, it basically ran all the U.S., you know, propaganda efforts uh, rate in radio, VOA, Voice of America. It was tied to Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty, uh, which were actually, these are propaganda networks. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, uh, we were fighting uh, we were fighting on the on the shortwave radio frequencies, uh, uh, Radio Moscow and, and, you know, Radio Beijing in those days, you know, the old that was the Internet of its era. You know, everybody. Uh, would listen to the official word from these various capitals uh, from their um, shortwave radio broadcasts. And and so the U.S. contribution to the uh, airwaves war back then was uh, Voice of America, all run by the U.S. Information Agency. Uh, that's and, now, and under Carlson, we'll go yeah. on, I'm sorry. Well, that's now run by the International Broadcasting Board of Governors and uh, um, so it's been somewhat privatized, but it still has a lot of influence by the U.S. government. So when Dick Carlson uh, is appointed there uh, by Reagan, uh, he starts hiring all these uh, either yeah. ex-Nazis or Nazi adjacent figures, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, uh, you know, we're going head to head with, you know, the, the Warsaw Pact countries, the so- you know, Radio Moscow you know, Radio Warsaw, I think East Germany, it was called Radio Berlin International uh, out of East Berlin. So, yeah, who are you going to get to uh, give uh, g- give the other side? Now, we could have gotten probably, you know, moderates from those uh, countries. But, you know, I mean, he wanted to hire the most right wing people possible. And that, you know, who did he get? He got people with these uh, somewhat dubious backgrounds uh, with the. Um, Ukrainian insurgent army, uh, the, um, the the Gestapo, uh, the Arrow Cross in Hungary. Uh, by the way, the uh, the, the Hungarian uh, fascist regime uh, created a thing called the Order of Vitez, and, and and at Trump's inauguration in 2017, they're wearing a black tunic with this Order of Vitez was Sebastian Gorka, one of the more uh, rather revolting and repugnant uh, fascists uh, out of the, the the Trump administration. Certainly not the only one. There's also Steve Bannon. So then Carlson, then from, from your perspective, probably picked up a lot of this from his father and, and who his father yeah. was hiring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, thank God, my my father was a veteran uh, of of the war too, but you know the people that I grew up with, the, his friends uh, were all fellow, uh, you know, anti-fascists. So uh, you know, can, I could imagine had he been on the other side, what what I would have been exposed to as a kid. You know, I mean, but fortunately, these were all <clears throat> uh, members of the Allied Merchant Marines from Norway and Denmark and 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 and, uh, and other countries. So. Um, I, I guess I was fortunate in that respect. He, Tucker, on the other hand, wasn't so fortunate. Now, what's interesting to me, uh, to go back a bit, you, you 
said that there's all these uh, active military officers uh, that seems that seem to have uh, embedded themselves and are sort of pro-Trump. Uh, do you think that's a problem with Homeland Security, FBI, oh. uh, all these organizations having sort of far right elements now in them yeah. that, that have embedded since the Trump era began? Look, Charles Flynn, the brother of Michael Flynn, he was he was on the joint. Uh, had input on getting you, you cut out there for a second, Wayne. Could you repeat that? You said uh, Charles yes. Flynn. Charles Flynn was at the Pentagon on January 6th. He was in charge of uh, the, 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 the group there that had to determine, you know, do we send a National Guard uh, to help protect the Capitol? And he deferred and his boss deferred, a guy named General Pyatt. Um, it's clear that when um, Trump fired uh, Mark Esper, the Secretary of Defense, right after his loss uh, uh, in the election of 2020, that he started putting over at the Pentagon his own his own people, people that weren't even uh, didn't even have military backgrounds, but they all had a, something else in common. They were all very right wing pro Trump people. He also, we know had people inserted at the, at the Justice Department and at the Homeland Security Department. It's quite clear he was trying to stage a, a fascist coup. Um, and Charles Flynn, um, rather than being drummed out of the military, um, was given a third star, promoted to lieutenant general, and, be, and then he was given command over all of the U.S. Army forces in the Indo-Pacific region. So he's sitting over there in Fort Shafter, Hawaii right now. And just uh, just around the time of the anniversary of January 6th last month, uh, there was scheduled at at the um, officers club or maybe it was the all ranks club at Schofield Barracks, which is in Charles Flynn's command, a, um, a stop the steal event sponsored by the Hawaiian Republican Party. Uh, now, if, if Charles Flynn was on some sort of probation and they said, well, we're going to we'll let you get that command over in Hawaii. Why did Joe Biden keep him in, 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 in his job even after that egregious uh, decision on his part? Now, they were saying, well, we it was a, it was a schedule. We didn't know what the schedule was. It was a conflict. No, no. Uh, and we know what it was because Charles Flynn is this is as nutty as his brother, Michael Flynn, and his other brother, Joe Flynn, also an Army veteran. But the Flynn brothers, the Flynn brothers have done so much damage to the United States. I'm beginning to wonder, people who remember the, the, the series on FX called The Americans, about during the Cold War, uh, the, the, the Soviet KGB inserted a family in the Washington suburbs in Virginia, and they, they all got jobs. Uh, when, when the father got a job at the FBI, and, and, and they, were, they were called the, it was called the Illegals Program. Now, the guy that came up with that series, the writer, he was formerly with the CIA, and they asked him, Where'd you get the idea from? He says, Well, I got it when I learned at the CIA. There were, there were examples of this. Um, families being inserted the flins have been been so egregious as a as an as a family 
I'm wondering, were they inserted in Middletown, Rhode Island sometime back in the, you know, the 60s, um, where they, you know, they created a bogus biography for these people? Because I think what's interesting about Middletown, that is the that is the location for the U.S. Navy's the undersea warfare center, which is the is the keystone for all U.S. nuclear submarine and other submarine technology. So if you're going to stick somebody somewhere to do, you know, as 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 agents, uh, you know, you put the whole family in there. I I would have thought of Middletown, Rhode Island, immediately because of what's there. What do you think the end game is uh, for these characters like the Flynn's? Because it's interesting to me. Mike Flynn talks about. Uh, we have an army of, of digital soldiers and they talk in this language of, you know, militancy. They, they believe that their country is under siege by communists, or at least that's what they're rousing the rabble to believe. So what is their end game in all of this? I, I it's they are so bizarre. I mean, I've known a lot of politically, I, I'd say, extreme retired admirals and generals, but. The Flynn's, I mean, to to embrace the QAnon nonsense, uh, it's almost like they're running a psychological warfare operation on behalf of some other country. And gee, I wonder who that which country that might be. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, when you, you you had Flynn, and here's what what's really worrisome: Flynn was on the short list for Trump to pick a vice president. In in 2016, can you imagine had it, you know, I, I never thought I'd live to say, thank God for Mike Pence. But can imagine if that were Flynn up there instead of Pence and what he would have done? Uh, I mean, it, 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 it shocks the uh, it's shocking to the, the most wild imagination how things could have been much different that day. Could you speak a little bit more to the problem of uh, these sort of right wing elements embedding themselves in major agencies, including uh, things like the FBI, Homeland yeah. Security, et cetera? Yeah, I'm I'm I, yeah, there, we don't know much about the FBI um, at, at the, you know, at the best, they're they're incompetent. Um, but um, we got to figure that they're there. I'm also I also believe that they had embedded themselves in the U.S. Capitol Police. Yes, many Capitol Police were policemen were heroes. Uh, many were injured. But how many in, in, in that force were, you know, uh, uh, sympathetic, at least to the uh, to the people that laid siege to the Capitol? Um, we don't even know how many members of Congress were in on it, although we can guess some of them, um, because there were there were uh, they were basically caging uh, the area the night before on the night of uh, January 5th. They were uh, surveilling, conducting. Uh, some people said it was like military style surveillance uh, of the the tunneling system, um, the the annexes, the, the House and Senate office buildings and even the Library of Congress. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, the, the 
I, I would be less concerned about the CIA, but I'd be very concerned about Homeland Security. Um, and um, why Homeland Security in particular? Because I, I never was really comfortable with that agency back when it was first uh, formed. I remember when I, when I first heard the term Homeland Security, I was at a uh, function. It was uh, dur- still during the Clinton administration. And it was um, it was uh, Senator Warren Rudman and Gary Hart, the former senator from Colorado. That was it was called the Rudman Hart Commission that came up with some how are we going to uh, uh, defend the country from terrorists? And so they said, well, we don't have an interior ministry and, you know, Department of Interior has nothing to do with security. It's national parks and stuff. And, and, and so I'm at this breakfast meeting where they first rolled out the, the, the committee or the commission rolled out this. They said, well, we're calling it uh, uh, it's a proposal for a, a homeland security uh, agency. And I remember I was sitting next to a military uh, a c- contributor for MSNBC. And I said, homeland security. He looked at me, too. He's, and then he said, Jesus, where did they get that? He said, I think that sound probably sounded better in the original German. And uh, so th- they created this huge security behemoth, um, throwing in the Coast Guard with the Secret Service and uh, the Border Patrol and Customs. And I mean, I, I-, I said, where, you know, whereas the first thing that happened in the in, after the fall of the Soviet Union was they got rid of the KGB that had all those functions. And now what, what have we turned around and accomplished? We've created our own version of it. <coughs> so I think the people you get in the Secret Service and Customs and Border Patrol, I think people who may have a, a tendency towards fascism, gravitate to that those jobs and those departments just because of the nature of their work and that's why i think homeland security is probably where the january 6th committee is going to find out unfortunately that a lot, a lot of it a lot of a lot of the reasons why they were able to invade the capitol building was because key individuals in homeland security were either not doing their job or were assisting the uh people laid siege. So it's interesting to me when we talk about all these different agencies and some of the figures associated with them, like the Flynn's, you know, these characters like the Flynn's or even um, I I was just talking to someone about the recently deceased uh, John Singlob, um, who figures into Iran-Contra. And it's interesting to me, it seems like a lot of these figures it's almost like they have an ideology where for them, the Cold War never ended. The threat of right. communism never yeah. ended. And they sort of believe that it's now within the government, that it's burrowed within the U.S. And it's almost as if they want to bring the Cold War home, um, sort of like uh, doing a domestic Phoenix program, uh, by any means necessary program uh, to, to defeat what they see as their political enemies. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, Singlob uh, was in cahoots with Phyllis Shafley and and the, and the, this right wing group, and I forget the name of it. Uh, it still exists, and the guy who's uh, basically heading that same group up now, who took over from Singlob, is Michael Flynn. 
Are you uh, talking about the uh, the Eagle Forum? That was Schlafly's. Not, it's not the Eagle Forum, but it's another group. Uh, you know, the American Freedom Foundation, or one of one of these many, many, you know, right wing John Birch Society type organizations. So Probably for years, tied in with the Council for National Policy too, right? Yeah, for years it was headquartered out in St. Louis. But somebody noticed in their last, uh, and this is before Singlaw died, in, in their last filing of a 990 form, which nonprofits have to do, the address had changed from St. Louis to 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 the town in Florida where uh, Michael Flynn now lives. I think it's Englewood or Ellenwood or some something like that. Uh, it's it's near Sarasota, and Sarasota has turned in. You know, it used to be the home of Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus. Now it's the home for people like Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA, uh, the the the, um, the Cyber Ninjas, that group that you know got hired by Arizona to do their audit, and 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 and, um, and Flynn and his brother Joe. Uh, I mean, it's a real it's a real uh, bees nest of uh, uh, really far right activity down there. You're talking about uh, Sarasota, Florida, Sarasota, Florida. Yeah. 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 It's 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 always fascinated me how much strange right wing things come out of Florida. I think it was uh, Roger Stone. Yeah. Said, oh, uh, I come from Florida. It's the uh, sunny place for shady people. Yeah. And he of course, he he I think he gravitated to Florida because his hero, you know, Dick Nixon had his Key Biscayne operation. And, uh, you know, I mean, Stone loved Nixon so much he had his face tattooed to his back. Um, But yeah. And, and, And so we shouldn't wonder why we've got a fascist governor named Ron DeSantis that why, uh, Donald Trump is now a resident of Florida and Palm Beach and and Rush Limbaugh was in Palm Beach. And, you know, yeah, Florida is uh, basically the closest thing we have to a banana republic within the U.S. borders. So and I happen to to live in Florida, which is even a worse, worse situation. So switching gears here for a moment, uh, I recently read an interview you you did with uh, my colleague Joseph Flatley at Field State Update, and you were talking about having potentially a bit of an insight into Stop the Still because of your time working for Infowars and oh, Alex yeah, Jones. Was, yeah, yeah. Maybe you could tell my listeners about how you oh. ended up working for Jones, how he changed over time, and also uh, just so we note here, you and Alex do not have the uh, same politics, of course. No, no. And he even said that on the air many times. I first ran into him or his people. God, it had to be around the year 2000. It was even before 9-11. And they were up in Washington doing a documentary on the Federal Reserve. Now, to be honest, I, I've heard people talk about the Federal Reserve, this, that, and the other. And they said, well, we'd like to interview you about the Federal Reserve. I said, really, there's other, there's people who know more about it than I do. Uh and they said, no, no, we'd like to get you to stand down on Constitution Avenue with the Federal Reserve in the background. And, and so, I, you know, I said, look, it's it's a it's not really a federal agency. It's a consortium of banks. Um, the, the, the chairman of the Fed, even though he's appointed by the president, he or she appointed. I think it was uh, Greenspan at the time. 
I, I said the president really doesn't have much to say over what they do up there. They control the money supply. And so I went into that and, and that was the end of it. I said, well, that was okay. Well, they got there. And then Jones started to invite me more and more on his show. And this and, is back but, when it was probably a little bit easier to just say, oh, He's a bit of a weird libertarian type guy. Yeah, exactly. That's what I gathered. Uh, and, you know, and he would say, well, Matson's Matson's he's a he's a liberal, but we we like him anyway. And, and, and so, yeah, I had no problem. Go. And then and then, he, you know, a few years go by and he says, you know, 9-11 happens. Of course, I was a skeptic to the official story. I'd run into him at various conferences and then. He, he said, uh, yeah, we got to we got to get you to help us on some stories. And he was very I mean, I was limited in how much I could cover just because of financing. And he, he said, well, anything you want to cover, let me know and I'll I'll fund it. You know, uh, so um, I uh, I did a couple stories, including one with the 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 when they went after the first Democratic Attorney General of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Kathleen Kane. The only reason they went after her is because she was not only going after the people that covered up the uh, the Jerry Sandusky scandal at Penn State, but also other cases around the state. And and she basically that put a bullet uh, that put a a, a, a a scope on her, a target. And uh, <clears throat> so there was a big uh, demonstration for her. In, in Harrisburg at the state capitol. And um, so I covered that for, for Jones, for InfoWars. And uh, so, but at the time, when the time came around for the Republican convention in Cleveland, the one that was the Trump party, uh, hearing Jones like, wow, we support Trump. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, there could be a movement during the, convention to find another candidate and, and the talk then it was ted cruz you know well we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been in any great shape with either but uh my idea when i cover a convention is to is to suss those things out where's where's the uh, floor fight going to originate what delegations um you know who, who who's involved and he didn't want to hear any of it and because uh, it was trump all the way in it and then it also became very apparent because the night I arrived in Cleveland, uh, Jones and his some of his people were attending a really hush hush VIP dinner sponsored by none other than Tucker Carlson. And I know, you know, I they 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 were really uh, on the QT around me. Uh, they wouldn't discuss it. As a matter of fact, when somebody would say something, I could I, I noticed Jones would say, you know, uh, you know, I'm here, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and there was, uh, from my understanding, this hush hush dinner, there was uh, a lot of people there, uh, Stone, Farage, wow. Wilders, uh, all these Nigel Farage, yeah, the guy from Holland, the fascist guy from there. Uh, I I tried to find out, you know, uh, uh, who all was there, but I'm telling you. It was probably one of the few times that Jones knew something and he was keeping his mouth shut because that's not usually his way. But he probably was told, hey, you know, you don't talk about who was here. Um, I think the Russian ambassador Kislyak was probably at that function. 
and who who knows who else. Um, and and your belief is that this function could have been a, a forerunner to what we saw with Stop the Still in 2020. Yeah, yeah, I think. Oh, and I think. That year, they were discussing Stop the Steal in 2016. If Hillary Clinton had won the election, it was going to be the same thing that we saw later. Uh, and I think the, the groundwork was being discussed right there in Cleveland. So I would hope that the January 6th committee would, would go back and look at what may have been the first Stop the Steal uh, and it doesn't make it any more legal because it w- if it was a conspiracy, especially if it involved other countries, uh, that's a criminal op- that's criminal operation. That's uh, at least a RICO violation of the law. And I think it's a violation of campaign finance law and probably a lot, a lot of other things, maybe even national security law. But yeah, I think uh, the mere fact that the, um, uh, yeah, I certainly was probably not even considered to be in, as somebody to be invited to that thing. <laughs> of course, I had my own, I had my own background with Fox News, having appeared on there many times. As the I, I remember, not to interrupt you, but I remember when you appeared on. I think it was the O'Reilly Factor uh, at one yeah. time, and, and Bill O'Reilly and you were arguing about the war on Christmas, and you, Christmas. you kept uh, reiterating the obvious point that. This is stupid. There is no one on Christmas. And then he said, I get the last word. And I looked in the camera and I said, Merry Christmas, Bill. And he he was silent, if you remember. And then he looked, he said, I'm not buying your act. (laughs) It wasn't an act. Uh, Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, um, and it's it's clear that uh, Rupert Murdoch is a very evil man. Uh, and you know, he would have made the best James Bond villain. And I think in one James Bond movie, he was actually the villain. They didn't call him Rupert Murdoch, his name was Elliot Carver, but it was the same thing. You know, here's a media guy trying to start World War III for ratings. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and then Philadelphia <clears throat> afterwards, uh, I covered that and it was quite clear Jones wasn't there, but his people were actively trying to stir up problems with the Bernie Sanders delegates. Oh, really? Could you tell uh, me? Yes, I saw it. There was pros. There were like pro Sanders um, rallies in the city. And uh, I, I, they were provocateurs uh, working for Jones that were trying to stir things up, you know, get, you know, they took the cameras there to these functions and, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they had a couple of anarchists present, but that's what they were wanted. They wanted to uh, stir things up to make, sh- you know, get some bad, bad press for the for the Democratic Convention. It was very obvious what they were doing. And my feeling is that's not the job of any journalist, even though I was credentialed under Infowars. But, uh, you know, you, you didn't you, you wouldn't see NBC or ABC or. Wall Street Journal, even a Wall Street Journal, which is owned by Murdoch, trying to do what Alex Jones's people were up to. So before we close out, with regards to Alex Jones and Infowars, I I used to listen uh, back when back when you would appear on the show uh, in the Bush era. And he would occasionally have uh, decent guests on. I mean, he would interview people like Gore Vidal. What happened? Was there a change in Alex Jones? Because I've had some people say 
the the point he changed was when Stone took him under his wing. Yeah, Stone. That, yeah, that was a bad mistake because Stone is a consummate um, um, reptile. Um, um, I, 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 he goes back to the days of um, actually his first campaign was when he was a teenager. He was with the Goldwater campaign in 1964. And I, a very close friend of mine who's now deceased was Barry Goldwater's deputy campaign, our deputy uh, press secretary during the 64 campaign. We, we were together once at a restaurant in Washington, uh, my friend and um, the managing editor of Reader's Digest (laughs) spotted uh, Roger Stone at another table and Stone comes walking up and, and I'm introduced to him for the first time. This is after he already, him and his wife were already in the news for being fired by the Dole campaign in 96 because they were advertising in a swingers, uh, in a, on a swingers website. And, um, um, and, and leather, leather was the, you know, was the key thing. And, and I so I uh, I was introduced to Roger Stone, my friend who had been a very he was an old reporter for the New York Daily News going back to the 50s. After Stone left, he turns to me, he says, you know, that guy. You never want to have anything to do with him. I, I ran into him in the Goldwater campaign. He's and then he goes. And he's as slimy as they come. And he's shaking his hand off. <laughs> and 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 that's what I remember. And 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 my friend George was absolutely right about him. He is as slimy as they come. And if anyone gets involved with them, like Jones did, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's counter counterproductive. Totally. Do you do you think, though, having worked with Jones, where do you think Infowars went wrong or was there always did you always have an inkling that, oh, Maybe he's a bit more far to the right than just libertarian. Or yeah. where do you think things? Really yeah, got no, I, and I think I think he is because um, when I, especially when I was at the fiftieth um, anniversary of the JFK assassination in Dallas, he he spotted me there and he brought his film his crew over, and um, you know he's saying yeah yeah we you know I'm saying why Texas. It was the mindset of Texas in 1963 that got John F. Kennedy assassinated. Adlai Stevenson had come, had been there and gotten beaten up at Dallas by some John Birchers who were hitting him over the head with like really injured him. Uh, This is our ambassador to the United Nations, twice the Democratic nominee for president in the 50s against Eisenhower. And and Stevenson came back to Washington and told uh, the president, he says, listen, if you can delay that or cancel that, he says, no, I promised Lyndon I got to go. Well, anyway, where, where Stevenson was assaulted was Dallas by the John Burke Society. Jones, although uh, he wasn't alive then, his parents lived in Dallas in those years, and they were big members of the John Burke Society. So among that welcoming committee for Adlai Stevenson, certainly had to be uh, Jones's parents. Now, he he even said, oh, yeah, they used to have John Birch people come over for dinner. I'd sit at the dinner table and listen to him. 
It was really fascinating. Look, when the John Birch Society comes up, you know somebody so far to the right. I mean, this is the whole, anyone who remembers Dr. Strangelove, when Gen- General Jack Ripper is going on about fluoridation of the water supply, that was what the John Birchers were saying back then. And it's just like the anti-vax people today. Um, it's this nonsense, uh, but... <laughs> I, I was going to uh, get into that really quickly here because I know we're running a little bit over time, but, you know, I, I think people think that this phenomena of, uh, I don't know what's been called Trumpism is yeah. new. And I, I yeah. always have taken issue with that because to yeah. me, I think we can trace things back to, I, I mean, just to keep it simple, we, we can go back to Joseph McCarthy and then the John yep. Birch Society. You could probably go back even further to no, the no nothing the, party. You could go back to the no nothings, right, in the yes. 1850s, right, yeah. And I, I just wanted you to comment on that because I think there is a continuous line between the far right of today and the far right of yesteryear. Yes. I think, yeah, Trump and Trumpism, I think they're symptoms. They're not the disease itself. The disease is is that, there's an infrastructure in, in the United States, unfortunately, that's always been very uh, white nationalist, uh, um, uh, Christian nationalist. Um, uh, and I think uh, the manifestation of that uh, manifest destiny, um, the, the, all, the, all the nonsense, which by and, the way. And also people- oftentimes claiming to represent the working class when really I, I oh. think they're more like petty bourgeois. Yeah. Hey, yeah. More like, yeah, well, it's the, the, um, yeah, the, the working. Yeah. Well, this mindset that, you know, uh, everybody works hard in the United States for a, a for their dollar and, you know, the work ethic, it was always the American work ethic. Yeah. Child labor, slavery. Yeah. Let's talk about all the work ethic. Uh, so, um, and I think the whole issue with CRT is they don't want this taught. It's not just critical race theory. It's the unvarnished truth about the United States. They want to make people think that Paul Bunyan was a real person. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not. And that Uncle Sam was real. And um, so, yeah, th- this is um, Trumpism. Yeah, we had it. Uh, McCarthy McCarthyism, the McCarthy year was terrible. Careers were ruined, suicides, broken marriages, uh, um, having having uh, had some experience in Hollywood. Uh, that was one of the worst uh, epics ever. Um, what what they did to people just because uh, um, and we just saw that in the movie uh, Living with the Ricardos about, you know, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Yes, um, that that movie. There was also um the Dalton Trumbo biopic a, a few years back, I think it was yes. called Trumbo. Uh, yeah, the, the, the blacklist really destroyed lives. And 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 it continues. And, and I'm, I'm a believer, too, that we don't know enough about Fred Trump, uh, the father, because um, I foiled from the FBI his what they had on him. And all I got was the newspaper clippings about his arrest at the Klan rally and 1927 in Queens or the on Memorial Day. And then I then there's this large gap. And, and then the, the next thing I got was some stuff from the FBI in the early 70s about 
his uh, Fred Trump's ties with the uh, mafia, the mafia families in a construction business in New York. And um, and there was something in there about uh, him being sued by the Nixon administration for violation of the Fair Housing Act. Everything in the middle 30s, 40s, 50s, most of the 60s is missing. Well, knowing knowing that many of the Klan people in New York and the North went over and joined the Bund, the German-American Bund, after it was formed and it was being financed by Hitler, and it was headquartered in Yorkville, which is the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Believe that now. You know, you go there now, you don't see any vestige of the fact that streets were named, were in German. The street signs were in German. They're German restaurants, German movie theaters, playing Nazi propaganda films. And and right across the bridge in Queens is none other than Fred Trump, who opened up a supermarket, one of the first in Queens, if not the first, and who was supplying him uh, were the German butchers, the German bakers. Uh, he was part of that operation. He had to have been. And then he, during the war, he, he bids for contracts to build housing, Navy housing, uh, at all the key embarkation points on the East Coast. Jacksonville, Charleston, Hampton Roads, Norfolk, Chester, Pennsylvania, Brooklyn. And, and what are you seeing if you're if you got your construction workers there, you're watching all the ships, how many troops are going on board the ships, and their next, their next destination is Europe or North Africa. Uh, I, I said, well, why didn't the FBI look, in that, look into that? Well, the guy who was the director <clears throat> was not interested in going after the Nazis until December 7th, 1941 the day the U.S. was attacked by Japan. Before that time, he was only interested in going after communists, not Nazis, because J. Edgar Hoover himself was sympathetic to the Nazis. And, uh, and you know, how much, how much was lost because Hoover was in charge of, you know, could we have won the war sooner possibly if it wasn't for Hoover? And I think there's a lot of, a lot of evidence that, you know, we we could have brought that war to a quicker end. Hoover Hoover was a <laughs> Hoover spent most of World War Two arguing with the OSS about who was going to be in charge of going after the Nazis in South America, because he said, no, that's that's my job. That's the FBI. Yeah. But if you're sympathetic to the Nazis, what kind of job are you doing? So all the Germans, all the Nazis that showed up in Argentina and Brazil after the war, you know, was that courtesy of somebody named Jagger Hoover in Washington? Last thing here, because I, I just thought of it, uh, you, you had mentioned uh, Rupert Murdoch, and I, I know a lot of people will talk about uh, the Koch brothers, which I guess there's only uh, uh, one left now. But yeah, there's a figure that I wanted to pick your brain about, uh, Peter Till, because uh, my friend and oh. colleague Barrett Brown uh, thinks he's a very dangerous person. And I'm noticing... Peter Till is putting a lot of money, not just into Palantir, but now political candidates like Blake Masters and J.D. Vance. And also he's putting all kinds of money into alt media now. So yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Till, but if you do. Yeah, uh, no, he's, he, he, I was there when he spoke at the convention in Cleveland. And, and what I heard uh, gave me some uh, 
sent him, you know, shivers up my back. I never really knew much about him. But then afterwards, God, he was involved in PayPal and all these other startups. And I'll tell you, yeah, he's a problem. Steve Batten's paymaster, a guy named Guo Wengi, a Chinese expat billionaire who's like a cult leader, uh, along with uh, Falun Gong. That's another cult. They run this Epic Times. All these far right, foreign connected. And I can't mention them without mentioning Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a child of apartheid South Africa. His father is alive still and was a, a supporter of apartheid South Africa. So when we hear that uh, African-American employees of Tesla Motors are bringing a civil suit uh, for civil rights violations because of the, the use of racist language on the factory floor, why should anyone be surprised? The, it's the Afrikaner mentality. And, and uh, so... You know, we could, you know, how much of that is still present? Apartheid South Africa. Dylan Roof, who shot the people at the church, the black church in Charleston, he he was wearing a, a flag and he called himself the last Rhodesian on his website. Rhodesia being a minority, white minority run country. So, uh, you know, whether it's Nazi Germany, apartheid South Africa, minority rule Rhodesia, these people are still present today, and we see them like, hey, we want to advertise ourselves. We're proud of what we are, right? So we got, you know, Alex Jones kind of going back to being a, being a John Bircher from, you know. Um, yeah, uh, they're showing. It's really, not, not to interrupt you, but it's, it's great that you mentioned Failing Dong because, my God, they, they have had a successful propaganda campaign because I know people uh -huh. that, that will say, oh, no, Falun Gong is great and they're, they're just yeah. oppressed. But you look into like their background. I mean, they're against race mixing. I mean, this yeah, is a yeah, far yeah. right group. Yeah. And, and then yeah, you throw in the Unification Church of Sun Myung Moon. And by the way, his son, one of his sons, many sons, was involved with the Stop the Steal thing. He, he, he's in the weapons business in Pennsylvania. Uh, so we got a real problem. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe Jim Jones and Jonestown shouldn't have killed this, you know, killed off everybody. They might have de developed into a political party eventually in this in this country. It's like I think you even wrote about uh, hasn't there been a takeover of um, Politico and uh, well, it, it used to be known as Business Insider, but now it's just Insider by like these right wing corporations. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that Politico was um, all Britain. Uh, the guy that owned um, he was an oil man out of Texas. He owned uh, uh, Riggs Bank, which is now PNC, and and uh, uh, Politico is now uh, owned by um, the uh, Springer uh, operation in Germany, and, and he you now Axel Springer was a big right-wing fanatic uh in germany uh and uh yeah i mean it, it's not just uh, newspapers are folding every day but these new media conglomerates that mix tv with internet with all the all the other things out there they they are they're a lot of right-wing money and yeah and that's why i worry about peter Thiel and people like him um and 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 bannon's big funder uh well, one gee, um, uh, you know, the, the, if people are subjected to this nonsense 
24 by seven. You know, that's how we get insurrections like in Canada um, and, and what we had here. I think I remember, I know Canadians, friends of mine said, Oh, thank God that could never happen in Canada. This is after January 6th. And, you know, I'm trying not to say, well, now it has happened there. What do you think? How do you like them apples? Because they think, oh, we're not like we're not like that here in Canada. They may not be like that, but the these groups, these pressure groups, with all the money, can ensure any country becomes like what happened here on January sixth. Uh, it happened in Brazil last year. Uh, Bolsonaro, using the anti-vax thing as a as a cause, tried to shut down the Supreme Court, tried to shut down the Congress, and. Uh, so it can happen in any any country, actually, and that's what I and that's what I try to show in this book. Uh, it's not just an American thing. The, the Fourth Reich, um, you know, it used to be a thing in the uh, in movies uh, like the Odessa file and about the Fourth Reich is still out there. Uh, now this is the, they're not hiding themselves now. This is exactly uh, what. Uh, some Germans hope for after World War II that they could reestablish uh, Nazi Germany as a Fourth Reich. Well, they don't need they don't need those people. They're all long gone. But they get when, when you got Steve Bannon, you got Sebastian Gorka, and you got Roger Stone, and all the rest of them. Uh, they they can easily put together a, a new global Fourth Reich. So that was J.G. Michael talking to Wayne Madsen, the author of... The Rise of the Fascist Fourth Reich. The Rise of the Fascist Fourth Reich. The Era of Trumpism and the New Far Right. That's that's one hell of a title. Yeah, it's it offers a lot. And, um, you know, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a history lesson, and it's also kind of an expose on a lot of figures that you thought you knew but perhaps didn't, like Tucker Carlson. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, the stuff about Tucker Carlson's dad working for, like, state-sponsored American propaganda outlets and bringing in a bunch of, uh, you know, Nazi-type figures or Nazi-adjacent figures uh, to do propaganda for these networks uh, or, or channels, whatever. Uh, that, that, to me, was fascinating because I did not know about that. I didn't really understand the roots of Tucker Carlson's depravity. <laughs> and um, he kind of raises an important point, uh, Wayne Madsen does, that, you know, Nazism is like the family business for a lot of people. It's politics, but it's also ideology. It's always interesting to me because, like, I, I think there is a potential to argue, well, the type of thing that people like Carlson or or Trump a representative of isn't like European style fascism. You could get into like a really academic sort of debate about that. Oh yeah. A lot of time has been wasted on those debates. Well, I mean, I guess what I would say to those people is I think that there's a lot of overlap between European style fascism proper and this sort of American nativism that goes back to the know nothings uh, that was a political party, and eventually that goes on through to the Birchers and Phyllis Schlafly. And, you know, maybe they're not one-to-one. There's Europe and the U.S. are very different in a lot of ways. But there is this, like, overlap, and I would say it's all part of a, a sort of a far-right cauldron, so to speak. 
you know, the great thing about Wayne Madsen is that in addition to the journalism aspect, he has this really old school vibe to him where like you can tell he's a personality. Yeah. And sometimes I don't see that in journalists. Like just for instance, when he's telling that story about when he first encountered Roger Stone and his journalist friend, uh, you know, says to him, that guy is slimy. And Wayne is like shaking his hands like this. And he says, that's what he was doing. He was shaking his head. I'm just like, Wayne is, uh, he's one of those old school journalists that doesn't like pull back. He yeah. doesn't, he doesn't care about seeming reserved. He's just like, I'm going to tell it like it is, and I'm going to tell it in a sort of entertaining way that engages you. And I think we need more of that in some ways. 